We are going to continue in the uh, series that Pastor Jim has been uh, working with and that we've been working through. I think that hopefully that's what describes the way you've been interacting with this uh, material. Last week was absolutely essential for us. It's one of those words that you could hear probably three or four times a year on, on dealing with offense. But the uh, series, as uh, Pastor Robert said, is uh, talking about wholeness, healthy <clears throat> from the inside out. Yes, He's been working, uh, Pastor Jim has been working from a framework, a psychological theory. I really know very little about it other than the psychologists identified three essential things that really reflect wholeness in anyone's life. The first is authenticity, and we talked about that some weeks ago, about what it means becoming the person God has created you to be and being the person you truly are. Uh, this is some one of those things that we never uh, fully realize this side of encountering the resurrected Lord. But our life is intended to be a process and a, of discovery, wherein we learn to discover, God, who did you intend for me to be? Who do you intend for me to be? And then to live that out, to learn to come to grips with the things that stand in the way of being the person that Jesus Christ died for and that God created you to be and knew you to be from before the beginning. The second was competence, able to function with a measure of ability so as to invest yourself, to offer what you have in a meaningful way. Not perfectly, but competently. And I think uh, one of the things all of us have to be uh, looking at is what is it that I bring to the table? We're going to actually kind of conclude on that note tonight. But what is it that I have to offer? Not what is, what is it that I shine in so much, but rather looking at the whole of my life, what is it that I have that I can lend to the strengthening of others, to the strengthening of my community, this church, to my family. And the third area has to do with being connected, relating meaningfully and in a healthy manner to those around you. And this is the quote that I wanted to just bring out tonight. Pastor Jim has been kind of emphasizing this. You cannot be practicing a practicing disciple apart from community. This is the place where discipleship is expressed. We cannot be, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my quiet time when it's just me and Christ, I shine. I mean, it, it's, it's not that I, I feel his love, I feel his goodness, you know, but I mean, come on, I, I don't know, does anybody else, you get, you get before the Lord, things are at peace, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't doing what the Holy Spirit does, he's not convicting you of anything, it's just one of those, you know, off days for the Spirit of God, I mean, you know, and you're feeling good, you know, you're, you're feeling, and, and, but then as Pastor Jim has been saying, you step into the realm of being with other people. And what we want to look at, and, and what I want to underscore today, is, or tonight rather, is that we need to be fully experiencing and fully expressing our relationship with God, but it must occur in relationship with others and with God's people in particular. I, I, I'll just interject something here, and I know I'll say it again later relationships don't happen by accident. They're intentional. They're something you set out to build. 
We live in a society, we live in a culture where relationships happen. They come to us magically. And if they aren't magical, then we move on until we find the magical relationship. And I'm not just talking about romance. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about the people that we, that we connect with. And here we are looking now at what does it mean to, to be connected. Uh, I love this. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. John says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. That, that statement right there infers a lot about what we encounter, what we're going to encounter in real meaningful relationships. And a lot of us do not develop, and we'll touch on that, I'll develop this in a moment here as well, but we don't enter into relationship for just that reason. We are interested in keeping our own peace and harmony. And people disrupt that. Last two weeks, Pastor Jim's been talking about conflict. He starts talking about relationship by addressing the issues of conflict. We are to love from the heart as family, practicing forgiveness, anticipating forgiving by forbearing with one another and forgetting offenses once they've been forgiven. And last week, he spoke about tearing down the fences of offense, effectively resisting and overcoming the temptation to be scandalized by offense. Great message. If you haven't heard it, would encourage you to go back and do so. We must not underestimate the importance of relationship in the church. We must not underestimate the importance of our having relationship with one another, meaningful relationship. The Gospel of John, our Lord Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this line, by this, by the love we all have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is by our relationships with one another that the world sees and maybe touches the quality and life of the kingdom of heaven. Meaningful relationship is at the core of who we are as the church. Pastor Robert was talking about being the body of Christ. My body is joined together intimately, and it works because it functions intimately. When we have one part of the body warring against another, we've got serious disease in our system. And for our part... We need to come to a place where we are, co where we are working together. I, I was thinking about it. I, I started to, 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 to comment on it, but just the whole idea of, the, isn't it interesting we talk about relationship and first thing out of the bag we have to address is conflict. You know, because, because relationship requires us, requires things of us we don't normally want to get into. And when we get into our marriage or get into our family, that may be enough for us. 
And yet here is Jesus saying, oh no, if you're my disciples, you're going to have a love for one another such that the world will be able to see that you are my disciples. Our life together, the manner in which we share life, how we handle one another relationally, how we touch one another, how we interact with one another, how we are sensitive to one another, how we are aware of one another, is to be such that those in the world will see and they will affirm, these are the disciples of Jesus Christ. See, and to me, I read that and I'm sitting there thinking, well, how much interaction would somebody from the world see about how Christians relate? See, already, you know, already we're looking at real challenges in how this, how this is, comes about. They're not going to see it because of our Christian culture. It's not, with, it's not with the bling of religious expression, our you know, fish on the bumper and that kind of thing. It's not, that isn't what is going to identify us. Now, we, this isn't the only thing. Obviously, the miraculous and the supernatural. But there's something about it. And one of the things this church testifies of is that there's something about super, supernaturally when people are able to relate and come together in spite of their differences. That's part that's part of what that love looks like. So I'm not indicting anything when I'm talking about this. I'm wanting to broaden our horizons. I'm wanting us to look beyond what we currently have because, because I believe, I, I'd go so far as to say, I believe circumstances in the way things are going in this nation and everywhere and, and, and the, the, the where, what we're experiencing are going to require us to come together. You know, with an economy like ours, somewhere we're going to learn how to really extend care genuinely, not just for the disenfranchised, not just for the poor, but to support and stand with one another. Now, am I saying how does that come about? Probably circumstances are what, ha are what going to draw us together in that way, but here we are to be asking ourselves questions now. What does it mean to be joined with my brother or sister in Christ? What does it mean to be joined together as the body of Christ, as the people of God. It's not easy <clears throat> to do this since our lives and thinking are grounded in individualism. Our separateness from one another, social interaction, technology, values, all encourage and prioritize independence to a degree that that effectively translates into isolation. I'm not getting a lot of whoops tonight here. It's all right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm purposely going through some, I'm setting some things up because I want us to be thoughtful about what does it mean to walk out relationships with one another? How, what does it mean to be connected? Consequently, those areas where there is opportunity and need for life-giving relationship, marriages, families, relationships in the church, Christians too often, sadly, live with the same expectations and desires of the world around us. And here again, I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm talking about the way we think, what we value, what is important, how we set up our lives, how we arrange our lives. 
so as in some cases to insulate ourselves from anything that could come in and actually require us to be connected. And sadly, we also experience about the same rate of failure as the world. Divorce, alienation in the home, the isolation, depression. Again, not an indictment, just saying these things should not ought to be. We are the people of God. And as we'll see, and as we were worshiping tonight and affirming and confessing, we are of a different stock. We, are some, we, we have something different to draw from. And unfortunately, there is little to be seen of our love for one another within the community of believers. It's just, it just, in fact, we look and say, gosh, what would that even look like? Why is this? As disciples, how we relate to one another is to be rooted in and drawn up from God's nature in us. I've been inferring that. We are to relate in everything we do based upon and drawing from the nature of God's life within us. Living authentically as disciples means that everything I interact with passes through the grid of, quote, my life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, and this is something, folks, I, I just can't encourage us enough, is we've got to be practicing this. When we run into adversity, I was talking to somebody recently, I said, when, my, when our emotional gauges are in red, it's one thing to step back and say, okay, why are they there? Why, why is this the case? And what do I need to address out here that will get them back in the green. And that's how we live. But is it possible that your gauges are in the red because God is trying to show you something? See, but we got to practice thinking that. So often our thinking only goes as far as, God, my gauges are in the red. Get me out of the red. Or... What did they do to me to offend me to get my gauges in the red? And either, hopefully not, what do I need to do to them? Or what do I need to get it to, you know, what rug can I sweep this under? But here, but see, this, this is the thing. Living authentically as disciples means that everything I interact with including my relationships, passes through the grid of my life is hidden with Christ. God, what are you trying to show me about my life through this? What are you trying to bring me into through this? We are looking to relate to everything, every person, every circumstance, every difficulty, every opportunity so as to let the life of Christ be worked more fully into me and to be expressed more perfectly through me. That's what God is, that's what, how God uses everything in our life. When relationship is grounded upon something other than Christ in us, when we attempt to relate on the basis of anything other than our life connection with God, we fail. I hate to admit it, but I'm just not sweet enough to maintain a wonderful relationship with my wife, with my kids, with you all. I'm pretty sweet, but you know, that <laughs> it's close. 
Let me say it again. As disciples, how we relate to one another must be rooted in and drawn up from the reality of God's nature now present in us. We're not trying to talk here about that we've got to go get the, the, the broom of the wicked witch of the West and bring it back in order to gain this. This is what we're trying to reaffirm and to, to unpack here in these sessions is our wholeness is already established. Are we entering into it? Our wholeness is already there. Are we finding it? Are we digging out and saying, what keeps me from entering into that? That's the authentic part. We got to do the same thing in our relationships. I believe one of the reasons we often struggle relationally <clears throat> is because we do not understand God's relational nature. Not seeing the foundational reality of God's commitment to relationship leaves us without a solid framework from which to enter into the relationships we live in. We don't have a, sometimes we don't hear a framework for the fact we know God is sovereign. We know he's king. We know he can do anything he wants. We, 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 look, at, we look at God in that way, but fundamentally at the core, he is relational. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Relationship runs all the way to the core, whatever that is, of God Almighty. So let's look at the foundation of relationship as revealed in God's nature by looking at God's way of doing relationship. And I've called my, my message, my, my comments here tonight, uh, the covenant connection. I want us to do, I'm going to touch on three things very fairly quickly. First, a picture of covenant as we find it in Scripture. The second, the purpose of covenant as set forth in the Bible. And then I want to conclude just by some comments and some observations about participating in covenant ourselves. The picture of covenant that we have most graphically given is in Genesis 15, chapter 15. Abraham has come to a point, even though he's won a major military victory, even though he's been recognized by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a priest of Most High God, he's come to a point of doubting and anxiety regarding both uh, having, a, having offspring, remember he and his wife both were unable to have children, and this business of inheriting the land in which he was moving around in as a sojourner. God's response to, to Abram coming back and expressing his, his, his concern, his question, his anxiety, his uncertainty, all the kinds of things that anyone who's been called by God knows you run across at times, God's response <clears throat> is to have Abram set out the elements of a covenant act. I'll take up just from there in Genesis 15, verses 8 through 12. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? That is the question. And God said to him, bring me a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them, <clears throat> laid each half over against the other. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. And then he proceeds to affirm these things that he would do. 
Now, what's so odd about this? Abraham, Abram knew about making an offering of worship to God. He'd already built altars all over that, Bethel and places like that. He would later build one on what is currently uh, on, uh, now Jerusalem, and he would go to offer up his only son Isaac. So he knew what a sacrifice unto God looked like. This was not a spiritual sacrifice. It was a sacrifice, but it was not a sacrifice. I've heard people reference it as such, but it wasn't that. Abram knew what this was, and the reason probably is because in Ur of the Chaldees, he had seen covenants made before between parties. It was a fairly common thing, and in a capital city like he came from, it was probably uh, somewhat of a ceremony that maybe if it wasn't done regularly, it was done often enough that a man of influence and stature, a man of understanding, would have seen it, observed it, and knew what it was about. Abram knew what this was, and, and, and he'd seen covenants made in this way before. Now, between equals, covenant testified to a shared commitment. And here's what would happen in a covenant. These animals would be cut in half. Uh, I watched a uh, veterinarian friend of mine years ago do a biopsy on a, on a small heifer, and it was a bloody mess entrails, I mean the whole nine yards. He took three animals like this, cut them in half, and pulled the parts apart. So you had between the two halves, you know he didn't come along and neatly sweep up the intestines and the entrails. It was a pathway between two halves of slaughtered animals. Between When, when equals entered into covenant, he, when equals entered into covenant, and if I can find my notes here, uh, the covenant parties each passed between the halves. In other words, walked down between the halves. I walked down, and then my friend would walk down. And in doing so, we would signify that we had made a bond in blood. Life had been expended to show the, the value, the permanence, and the absolute commitment that we had to whatever we were agreeing upon. Treaties between nations were sealed in this same way. An agreement or deal would be arrived at and ratified. And here's what the difference, though. When the agreement was made, in any agreement between nations, it was probably going to be between a powerful king and a less powerful king. And the less powerful king was beseeching something from the more powerful king. And the more powerful king said, fine, we will cut covenant and you will be required to fulfill whatever requirements I put and whatever stipulations I make in order for us to be in agreement. In other words, no doubt the, the, the lesser king was probably appealing for protection or the, the, the being able to call on the armies of the greater king. And the lesser king was fine to do that. But when the agreement had been made, the lesser king walked between the pieces of the animal, and when he got to the other end, he basically affirmed, may it be done unto me as unto these if I do not keep this covenant. 
Continuing in Genesis 15, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, firepot and flame, what is that? Well, it's a Hebrew figure of speech where two words are connected to compound and modify one another to convey and, and, and intensify a more cons- complex concept. The smoking pot and the torch are an image of the Shekinah presence of God. So instead, now we understand a little bit why Abram was deeply troubled. Think about it. He knew this was going to be a covenant. He'd slaughtered the animals, and he knew in dealing with Almighty God, who was the lesser? I wonder what he's going to require. I wonder what he is going to require. And yet, when it came down to what the covenant making, it was the presence of God who passed between the pieces. The greater humbled himself in order to show Abram that he was going to do what he said he would do. Now, why, I, why this is so important is because this reveals to us something of God's own nature. This is the revelation of God using an institution practiced by mankind to show us his nature. God freely chooses to humble himself and commit himself unilaterally to the benefit of others, to the benefit of Abram, to the benefit of mankind. This is the nature of God. Now, here's what I'm getting at, folks. This is the nature that's in us. We are to think and be be looking. What does it mean to function effectively in relationship? God, when he answers that question, he says, well, for one thing, it means I'm perfectly willing to give myself in a one-sided commitment. I'm perfectly willing to come up with how I can make sure this works regardless. I'm willing to humble myself. He didn't need to humble himself on Abram's behalf, but he did in order to secure, in order to show something of his nature to us. God freely chooses to humble himself and commit himself unilaterally to the benefit of man. This is the God with whom we deal. This is the God who, 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 we, who we love and who we worship. But look at how he has postured himself toward all human beings, all of mankind. And this is how he wants his people to be. This is how God approaches relationship. Not expecting what's in it for him, but looking at how to bring the greatest benefit to them. This is the nature of God and what he reveals to us in this manner, in this covenant. Covenant is a revelation of God's nature and that nature is dwelling in us. Okay, the purpose of covenant. Certainly, it's to reveal something of God's nature. Hebrews 6, 13 through 18 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater, and he's referring to the same thing we've been talking about, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things uh, which it is in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, what this is saying is God's purpose and his promises, as we know, are established. God has already set the outcome of things. He's already determined it. He's already designed how he's going to get where he wants things to go. He has a purpose and he has a plan, and he has promised those who believe in him to show them how to navigate in his purpose and in his plan to end up where he wants them to be. But what he wants us to be is a people who are deeply assured that he is going to do this. He, is, he wants us to be people who not only don't just give mental assent to, okay, that's a really wonderful concept. God, God knew me from before the beginning. God knows the end from the beginning. He's going to work out his purpose and do what he will. But what we have in covenant, what, what God was doing when he made this covenant with Abram is he was sealing these things and saying, look, I'm giving you my oath that I'll bring this about. Now, this is stuff that we are to rest upon, stand upon, and draw from when we come into adversity. Now, I'm, I'm, let me just pause and say... I know this is, this is probably in somewhat a little bit more abstract than maybe, and I wished, I wished I was gifted enough to preach this in a way that somehow would give us an excitement about it, but I'm hoping to plant a seed in our understanding that can grow up and flourish. That maybe as we go back and ponder some of these things that God, and particularly the next time you're in a situation where you wonder, where is God Hebrews 6 will come back to your mind. He's the God who swore that he would do what he said he would do. He is the God who, who made an oath. He couldn't swear by anything other than himself, so that's who, that's who he, he made an oath on the basis of. So I just want to say, covenant reveals God's nature. Covenant reveals God's relational nature in a couple of ways. First, he is generous, he sacrificially binds himself to his people with cords of love for their good and not his own, and he does so sacrificially. We're going to see, let me just phrase some. Old Testament, the word testament equals covenant. The Old Testament is about the old covenant that God established with Israel and the New Testament is about the new covenant in Jesus Christ's blood by which he is going to fulfill what he set out to accomplish in the old. You can't open this Bible without touching covenant reality. But we don't understand it. We don't think in those terms. We don't, we just, and that's what I'm wanting to kind of frame for us here this evening is that we are to be a people who understand the nature of God based on what we see him do covenantally. He's generous, sacrificial, and he gives himself freely to his people. That's his nature. The second characteristic of his nature is that he is unswervingly committed to what he said he will do. 
He's loyal. He's faithful. He's to be trusted and believed because he has sacrificed himself, because he has made a covenant in blood to establish and affirm what he will do. This is the nature that we have become partakers of. This is the nature of Christ, the eternal seed sown in our hearts, growing up to be the basis from which we conduct ourselves in relationships to others. Does that make sense? In other words, the stuff I've been touching on here for the last 30 minutes is the very stuff that we're to be drawing from. This is what is to shape our understanding about how we do relationship. These express life that necessarily draws upon something beyond ourselves. If I'm living authentically as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then this is how I walk out relationships with others. These qualities that we have heard and seen revealed through the, the nature of God, these are the qualities that I must bring into relationships wherever I, wherever I have them. So how do we participate in covenant? And I'm just going to leave, I'm just going to touch briefly on four questions that are then going to become the questions that our prayer time will focus on here tonight. First of all, number one, do I believe God's covenant nature really is present and operative in my life? I've been talking a lot about drawn from the nature of God. Do I really believe that nature is alive in me? Well, that's the very basis of the new covenant. For this is this covenant I will make, declares the Lord. In Jeremiah and quoted in Hebrews, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another, each one his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. God has put his nature in us. And we know this to be the, the case because Jesus said when he gave communion to his disciples, what? He passed them the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Jesus unilaterally committed himself to do something for us we weren't even asking him to do. He died for us that we, might be, that we might receive forgiveness. So the first question is, do I believe God's covenant nature to be present and operative in my life? If I don't, then the starting place in all of this is to ask God to give me a revelation of that. Help me to, ex to, to see and to know and to experience more deeply the reality of Christ living in me. Second question, in light of this understanding of covenant... How am I working to cultivate these characteristics that we find in God in my life? Humility, generosity, sacrificial giving of myself, loyalty, being unswerving in my commitments. See, these are the things revealed to us of God's nature through covenant. And he's called us to be a covenantal people. So how do I practice these things? Am I practicing these things? What do I bring into the relationships that I have? Again, not, not, I, I'm holding up a mirror. One of the things you'll, you'll find about me is I really, I really encourage people to first and foremost take a good long look at themselves before they do much anything else. 
not to get depressed, <laughs> but to find the, the play, the starting point of where I do business with God. Where do I need to do business with God? If my meters are in the red in an area, why? What is that telling me about me? Am I practicing in my relationships? I mean, this, this all has a very practical outworking in terms of what's going on in the relationships I have. Are, there, are, are my relationships in the red? And if so, am I living out of the nature of God and coming into those relationships with this kind of humility, generosity, sacrifice, loyalty, and unswerving commitment or faithfulness? Third question, what relationship do I need to prioritize in working to make my investment in them more covenantal? Where, what is God putting his finger on and saying, you need to go back and begin discovering what it means to be a covenantal person in that relationship? Now, obviously, marriage is a first place to start. But there may be others. It may not just be somebody that you know closely. There may be others. I don't have to be in covenant with somebody to be covenantal with them. I don't have to be joined, walk between bloody pieces. We don't do any of that anyway anymore. But I don't have to have that kind of covenant with somebody to be covenantal. I am to live out of the nature of God. So I'm to be covenantal in every relationship I come into. Am I doing that? Do I know how to do that? Do I know how to work on that? Once again, if there's friction in a relationship, can we step back and say, okay, God, what needs, not just what needs to change in me, but how do I need to approach this? Am I approaching this in a manner that's reflective of your nature in me? And the fourth question and last one is, do I understand that God has joined me to this people, to Grace Covenant Church? and to extend the benefits of the covenant through me to those I'm joined to in the world. How can I enrich the covenant life we share at Grace Covenant Church? Obviously, you can give a check, but I'm talking about how do you enrich the covenant life we share? Through ministry, through service, but doing so with an attitude of saying, God, I want to be generous. I want to learn how to be more generous, more self-giving, more faithful, more loyal in every aspect of my life.